Well, we're in our final section of Genesis and the, the life of Joseph. Brilliant. Okay. Right. Holly and I, we're big fans of the US TV show, The Office. Has anyone seen it? Do you want to put it up? Has anyone seen this? Yeah. Nice. A few people. Okay. So the show centers around this guy. He's called Michael Scott. He's the manager of a small paper company and he lives with his head in the clouds. He's totally out of touch with reality. And even though he has this normal office job, he's utterly convinced that one day he'll be a billionaire. He's so confident in his successful future that one day when he visits a local school, he promises a whole class of kids that when they're old enough, he'll pay for them all to go to university. I think there's another slide. So he visits these kids when they're this young and he promises all of them he's going to pay for them to go to university because one day he's going to be a billionaire. Now in America, it's way more expensive. So he's, he's promising a lot of money. So these kids, they're absolutely thrilled. They brand themselves Scott's Tots because he's called Michael Scott. And they all work as hard as they can to get into the best universities. They live their lives with complete faith that Michael will be true to his word. But when the time comes and they're old enough to go to uni, here's them all 10 years later, Michael lets them down. In the 10 years since he made their pro his promise to them, nothing in his life has changed. He isn't a billionaire and so he can't af afford to pay for one of them, let alone all of them. And it makes for one of the most awkward, secondhand embarrassment, cringe moments in TV history, as all of these kids realize that for the last 10 years, they've believed a lie. They are absolutely gutted. All of their lives, they've put their confidence in Michael and he wasn't able to deliver. Luckily for us, God is no Michael Scott. When God promises big, he has every ability to come through on his promises. And in t tonight's chapters, we're going to see that unlike poor Scott's tots, the faith that Jacob and Joseph placed in God is utterly secure. I've titled tonight's message, The God Who Keeps His Promises. So if you want to write that down, The God Who Keeps His Promises. What's interesting, though, is that in the life of Jacob and Joseph, neither of them got to see every one of God's promises revealed. But what they saw in part helped them to live in faith. They were confident that God would one day complete all of them. And if you're a Christian this evening, you also live in a kind of now but not yet reality. Many of God's promises have already been fulfilled, but we're also walking by faith. We're trusting that God will keep his future promise of restoration and eternity in heaven. Okay, let's dive in then. Here is point one, the promise affirmed. That's point one, the promise affirmed. And again, because we're looking at so many chapters tonight, we're really going to be taking a bird's eye view. I'll highlight the portions of scripture as we read them so you can follow along with me. Hopefully you'll have a Bible. So 
on Wednesday, when Matt was speaking, we left off with Joseph and his brothers reunited in the land of Egypt. Joseph, then after being reunited, tells his brothers to go home to Canaan, where they're from, and to bring their father and all their family back with them. In Egypt, Joseph can provide food and land for them in this time of famine. We're picking the story back up in chapter 46, where we see Jacob and his family about to embark on the long journey to Egypt. So if you've got your Bible, we're in chapter 46. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So Israel, which is the Bible's name for Jacob sometimes, God's special name for Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. Here in these verses, we see God's big promise, which the Bible sometimes calls his covenant. And here God reaffirms this big promise, this covenant to Jacob. He once again, not for the first time in Jacob's life, promises that Jacob will be made into a great nation. God speaks comfort to Jacob as he reaffirms this promise. He tells the old man not to be afraid. So why would Jacob have been afraid? Well, what we need to realize is that a part of this covenant, a part of this big promise, was that God had promised the land where Jacob was currently living to all his future descendants. So because Jacob was living there, it would have been extremely difficult for him to get up and leave this land of Canaan. And he would have been afraid of going to Egypt because it would have seemed contrary to God's promise. But God speaks into this fear. He addresses him by name and he reassures him. Not only does he give Jacob peace that he is making the right decision, but he assures him of why it is that he doesn't need to be afraid. He says this in verse four, for I myself will go down with you to Egypt and will bring you up again. And here, guys, it's not that God's plan A has failed and he's making the best of plan B by sending Jacob to Egypt. No, God reassures Jacob that he himself will go down with him to Egypt and will bring him back out. It's like God is saying, don't be afraid, Jacob. This is only temporary. My promise to you and your family still stands. On Tuesday, we looked at how God was with Joseph in prison and how we can be encouraged that God will be with us in every circumstance. Here, we're once again reminded that God will never leave or forsake his people when he promises to be with Jacob. And in the New Testament, we read even more about God's continued commitment to be with his people. 
We see it most clearly in Jesus, who left his throne in heaven to physically walk among humanity. One of Jesus' many names was Emmanuel, which means God with us. He died and rose to make that name, God with us, possible forever. And when leaving earth, he told his disciples this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, to assure us of that truth, God gives his Holy Spirit to his people to be their comforter and their guide. To know God's presence with you is to know that whatever the circumstances, God is working all things for the good of those who love him. Jacob then could have confidence that despite leaving his home and despite the ongoing famine and despite his old age, God would be faithful to his promise. But there is a problem. Jacob is a Hebrew. He's an outsider. He doesn't actually have any right to dwell in the land of Pharaoh where it's plentiful. So with this problem looming large in the story, it's unclear how God is going to make Jacob into a great nation. And that brings us to our second point, which is the promise fulfilled. If you want to get back into your Bibles, follow along with me as I read from verse 1 in chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds, and all they, that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn, that means seek refuge, in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now, without Joseph, this band of foreigners that had left their land of famine would have no chance of approaching Pharaoh. The Egyptians regarded Pharaoh as a living God. But Joseph acts as a go-between, and he bridges this huge gap between the mighty Pharaoh and the foreigners looking for a new home. He advocates for them, and he acts as a mediator on their behalf. Because of Joseph, his brothers can stand before the king of all Egypt and boldly ask that he gives them somewhere to live. Pharaoh had every right to refuse their request, but instead we see him giving the very best of his land to foreigners. Joseph's brothers in no way deserved this treatment. After all, they had sold their own brother into slavery. Instead, they received the land because of extraordinary grace, gained through their mediator. And, of course, there's an amazing parallel here between Joseph and Jesus. 
just as Jacob and his sons would have no chance of gaining a meeting before the king without Joseph, so do we have no chance of coming before God without Jesus. As people who have sinned and done wrong, we are completely unable to stand in the presence of a holy God. Like Jacob and his sons, we are very much in need of a mediator if we are to come before God. But how amazing is this? God, in his unfailing promise to be with his people, provides the mediator himself. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This provision of a mediator for us makes it possible for sinful humans like you and me to have a relationship with God and to gain all the blessings that come from his presence. I mean, we kind of throw the term around blessings, don't we? What am I actually talking about? I've got a quote here from a commentary on Joseph. When we come, and it's going to come on screen, (laughs) when we come to God through Christ, we don't get what we deserve. We get far more than we could have ever imagined. We are forgiven for our sins and transgressions, adopted into God's family as sons and daughters, made co-heirs with Christ of a glorious eternal inheritance, and thus made more than conquerors in life and in death. Just as we receive those blessings in Jesus, Jacob and his family received Pharaoh's blessings in Joseph. And settling in the land of Goshen, they didn't just survive, but they actually thrived. Read with me verse 27 of that same chapter. Thus Israel, aka Jacob, settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. Because we read that they were fruitful and multiplied greatly, we know that Jacob got to see this promise of becoming a great nation play out before his death. He lived for another 17 years in the land of Goshen before breathing his last at the ripe old age of 147. It's clear, isn't it, that God's promise to make this family into a great nation was only possible because of Joseph. And not just possible because Joseph stood before Pharaoh on their behalf, but possible because of all of the events of Joseph's life. We see this most clearly in the final chapter of Genesis, chapter 50. So let's turn there now and read from verse 15, verse 15 from chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What we're seeing happening there is that without the safety net of having dad around, Joseph's brothers begin to worry that they had only been temporarily forgiven or temporarily reconciled. They forget all the kindness that Joseph has already shown them and in their guilt, they wonder if he'll now want revenge. But Joseph's response couldn't be more different, could it? Upon hearing their request for forgiveness, he weeps and goes on to speak kindly to them. He doesn't forget or play down the pain they caused him, but he recognises that revenge is not his to enact. Joseph forgave them, not because their evil wasn't that bad, but because he knew that there was an ultimate judge who would one day judge all things rightly. And not only that, but this ultimate judge can even use human evil for good. In verse 20, Joseph says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In the mercy and the kindness of God, the very act of hatred against their brother was the act that saved their lives. Everything from being sold into slavery, to being thrown in prison, to becoming the ruler of Egypt, was all a part of God's plan to save his people. God was at work using a variety of people and circumstances to fulfill his promise to Jacob and his family. The ultimate example of God turning around the plans of wicked men for the good of his people is shown in Jesus. At the cross, we find this confusing set of circumstances where it's hard to see how God is working. This Jesus, who was supposed to be the Messiah, a triumphant king, was betrayed and abandoned by friends. He was mocked and scorned by his enemies and he was delivered to die. At that moment, it appeared that God's plan to save his people through the Messiah had been thwarted by human sin. But we read this in Acts chapter two. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And we read there that it was the definite plan of God from before time began to save his people in this way. Even though it looked like all was lost at the cross, God was loosing the pangs of death. Because Jesus was raised from the grave, death has lost its sting and our eternal relationship with the Father is secured. This moment that looked like weakness, in it, the great victory over death was won for us by Jesus. So then, the story of Joseph 
and the life and death of Jesus should bring us great comfort. That no matter how absurd and irrational and weak our circumstance may seem, God is in control and God means it for good. It also means that we can have great confidence in all of God's promises that haven't yet been fulfilled. So that's the final point this evening, point three, the promise awaited. We're going to read together the very last verses of Genesis, starting from 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, that's his son. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Jacob made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph's last will and testament is for his bones to be carried out of Egypt. It's not exactly what we would expect someone's final request to be, but it does show us something of, God, of Joseph's faith in God's future promises. And Joseph had this faith because over the course of his 110 years, he had seen God prove himself as a promise keeper over and over. He knew that Egypt was not the long-term home for the people of God. God had promised them the land of Canaan as their eternal inheritance. Although Joseph's current circumstances looked very different, he has utter confidence. He says in verse 25, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones from here. About 400 years later, the descendants of Jacob would leave Egypt, carrying the bones of Joseph with them. They would go on to inherit the land that God had promised them, despite all of the opposition that stood in their way. Both Jacob and Joseph knew God would do this because of the way he had already been faithful to them. And just as Jacob and Joseph had faith in that, that one day their descendants would enter God's promised land of rest, we also can have faith in an everlasting future rest. Our future is a promised inheritance that is kept safe for us by God, a true home where glory waits for us in the arms of Jesus. He has promised that those who know him will one day be raised from the dead and given new bodies that can never die. We will live in a place where there is no sin, no sickness and no sadness. We will get to enjoy the fullness of joy that can only be found in the presence of God. That's the promise we await. And we can await with the same confidence that Joseph and Jacob had. Because our God always keeps his word. But what about the here and now? What can we take from the story of Joseph to encourage us as we leave G2 camp? 
How about this? You can trust God for every moment of your life from here until heaven. As we thought about last night, the one who breathed out stars, the one who holds the universe together, is the same God who holds you and sustains you. You can let go of trying to control your own life and you can surrender it to the God who is sovereign over every detail. Joseph probably wouldn't have chosen the details of his life that we read about in Genesis, but God used them to save many. You can trust that God's way is best and that when you live God's way, honestly guys, you're not missing out. Joseph chose pleasing God over his own comfort and God poured out his blessings on him. The one who put his life on the line for you isn't trying to hold back anything from you. Jesus wants you to find the fullness of life that only comes from complete trust in him. He hasn't let me down. And I'm sure there are older leaders here who would tell you that he hasn't let them down either. Yes, there are times where you cannot make sense of a situation. But ultimately, you can always look back and see God's goodness and faithfulness. So let me encourage you all. You can trust him completely. He won't let you down. And no matter how things seem, even if it feels like being a Christian is losing a fighting battle or fighting a losing battle, take heart because we have the promise of heaven. Surely God will do it. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of heaven that awaits those who trust you. Lord, we thank you that you have proven yourself to be a promise keeper over and over. Lord, we thank you that as we look back to the cross and see Jesus die for us, we can have complete trust that you will keep your word to us. We can have complete trust in your plan for our lives and we know that we are loved by you. Please help all of us as we go from this place to live a life marked by trust in Jesus. Amen.